Could you please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 32? If you are using the small version of the Church Bible, it's on page 560. If you are using a large print Bible, it is on page 801. 801. Psalm 32 of David, a master. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. This is God's word. Thank you, Kathy. Great, well, we're going to uh, spend some time looking at Psalm 32. It's an absolutely brilliant psalm. Uh, we won't look at all of it, we'll just focus on the first part of it. But um, before we do, just turn to the person next to you. Um, why, for you, do you find it hard to believe the gospel sometimes? How sometimes is the gospel a bit like a bar of soap? You, you grab hold of its truth and it just seems to slip out of your hand. Uh, if you're not a Christian or you don't yet believe the gospel, then that's okay, you can just share with the person next to you why you think the gospel is unbelievable. But just share for a moment. Why do you sometimes find believing the gospel is true a difficulty? Great, let's, um, let's stop there. We don't, wanna, we don't wanna feed each other too many reasons why we struggle to believe the gospel. Uh, that would be uh, not helpful. Um, but we all struggle. If you're a Christian who never struggles to believe the gospel, then um, you're probably not being very honest with yourself. We all struggle. I struggle sometimes to believe the gospel. We all do. Um, Martin Luther, um, hopefully you understand and know something about Martin Luther. If you don't, he was a, a really influential man in the 16th century in Europe when the Christian gospel was being undermined by some really unhelpful teaching. And someone once asked him, uh, Martin Luther, why do you have to remind yourself of the gospel every day? And he just responded by saying, because I forget it every day. And sometimes we come to church and you hear the same gospel message every week and you sort of think, maybe we need to move on from the gospel. The truth is we don't need to move on. That's why Ephesians is such a great letter for us as a church to look at at this time in the history of the church because we never move on from the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of it every day. 
and each other every day because we just so easily forget it every day. So just hold your thought in your mind as the discussions you were just having about why sometimes you struggle to believe the gospel, you struggle to feel it's real and take that and then we'll hold up Psalm 32 and hopefully Psalm 32 will swallow today, will swallow your worries and fears. Just have a look at uh, Psalm 32. Now before I jump in, just uh, because they're here, it might be interesting if you don't know a lot about the Psalms, just a couple of things. You see under, in your Bibles where it says Psalm 32, there's a little phrase of David. I don't know if you've ever wondered what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean that David wrote the psalm. Of David can mean about David or written at the time of David. Uh, but it's likely this psalm does refer to the story in, in, um, that we had read earlier from Samuel chapter 11. Um, a mascal, if you want to know what that is, there's a little footnote in most Bibles. It's probably some musical or literary term. So it's likely this psalm was a psalm that was put to music and could be sung as an expression of all that David was feeling. Uh, last thing just to note, sometimes when you read the Psalms, you may have in your Bible, after verse 5, a little phrase, Selah. Uh, you ask Hebrew scholars what that means, and if they're really honest, they don't know. But most scholars think it's some sort of musical interlude, as a song is sung, uh, a time where maybe the musical instruments are playing, and people are reflecting on what they've been reading before they sing or read the next bit. Uh, I'll just share that with you, because you might be wondering, what are these things that we never talk about? Well, there's uh, some answers. So let's have a look at Psalm 32 together. Just hold in mind the context of David that we were just thinking of. He just had a look. He wasn't intending to commit adultery, but that look became adultery and then became murder. And one problem became a major, major failure. Well, in time, as he's then challenged in chapter 12, uh, the next chapter in the story in Samuel, the prophet Nathan comes and rebukes him and challenges him and says, what you have done has angered the Lord. And so David is feeling absolutely terrible for his failure. Have a look at verse 3. This is likely to be David, and he says here, verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. His failure is not going away from him. He's battling with this all day long. And perhaps the failure that you feel that has been true in your life is something that you grapple with all the time. You just can't let go of it. And then it says again, verse 4 for day and night your hand God's hand was heavy upon me my strength was sat in the heat of summer it's actually miserable isn't it not being forgiven David here is experiencing the weight or burden of his sin because he has been convicted of God's spirit who works in his heart he has failed Sometimes when we mess up in life, we feel that real sense of burden on our heart. And you really feel that you've let yourself down, you've let God down, you've hurt other people. And that can be a good thing, and we'll see why that can be a good thing. God's Spirit is laying heavily on your heart your sin. See, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Saviour, your heart can become hard to sin. So you don't ever get moved when you fall short of His standards. But if you feel the guilt of your sin, it's a really healthy sign that you truly belong to him because his spirit is working in you. And David is feeling the weight of God's anger on himself. He's feeling crushed. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to turn. He's absolutely desperate. And the truth is, there's nothing worse than being an enemy of God because our sin distances us from him we feel the weight of his judgment 
our sin grieves him there's nothing worse than feeling the hand of God heavy upon us but if you've ever experienced that that's a good thing because it means that you're being convicted that you've fallen short of God's standard and you desperately need help it's miserable not being forgiven then have a look at verse 5 because everything changes just as there's nothing worse than being the enemy of God there's nothing better than being the friend of God he, he speaks in verse 3 and 4 of the weight of, uh, that he's feeling in, the, in the, the difficulty as God's hand is heavy upon him but look at verse 5 everything changes even the pace of the, of the writing or the song then I acknowledge my sin to you he didn't just acknowledge yes I've failed but David turned to God whom he agrees I acknowledge my sin to you and this is the key thing I did not cover up my iniquity what had David done in the first place he'd fallen he'd messed up and the first thing he tried to do was cover it up try and get rid of Uriah the husband because at least that's one part of the problem out of the way and then we can go on my life but as God's hand is heavy upon him, he realizes there's nowhere he can hide. He can't cover up that sin. People will know what he's done, and we can be completely certain that God knows what he's done. And that's the truth that we've got to come to terms with. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing I can do that grieves God that he does not see. There's, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a secret sin that he doesn't see. That means that husbands, he sees you at home when you're being unkind to your wife and no one else sees. That means that when you turn on the internet when no one's at home and look at things that you know are not healthy to look at, he sees that, even if no one else in the world does. That means that when you're at school and you say something unkind to the person who's not got any friends and no one else knows, God sees that. We can't hide from God. And David gets to the point where he realises there's no point hiding from God because he's God of all. He sees everything. So, I've got nowhere to go, David says. And yet there is one place he goes. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. And he goes on, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you remember last week I was unpacking Lord? and it's in capitals in the Bible is the Hebrew word Yahweh so when I was talking about the two pillars when we want to thank God there's a pillar of God who's the covenant God Yahweh the one who's faithful to his promises and there was God Elohim the creator God the one who gives us everything to enjoy and I was saying when you want to give thanks hold on to the pillar of God's covenant faithfulness and hold on to the pillar of God the great provider well here David hangs on to the pillar of God's faithfulness he's got nowhere to go but he realises he can go to God, the God who is faithful, the God who has promised that we can always turn back to him when we fail. Now notice what that leads to. You have to go back to the beginning of the psalm now. This is a song, remember, he's responding. He's feeling God's weight heavy upon him. He's convicted of his sin. He's got nowhere to go, but he realises he can go to the covenant faithfulness of God Look at how he expresses himself when he runs into the open arms of God. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, and remember I said last week, the man there isn't referred just to men, 
It's a reference to all mankind. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in his spirit there is no deceit. That's amazing, isn't it? A complete and utter transformation. David is running away from God, trying to cover up his sin. Perhaps you do that. You don't feel you can come before God. You perhaps don't feel you can become before a friend or someone in this church. You can't share your failure because you don't want the shame. And yet this psalm is so liberating, isn't it? Because we can come before a loving God because he's faithful. And he sees it all anyway. And when we do come to him, we can experience all that David experiences. Blessing. Because that burden can be lifted off us. That's what we sang of in that song, My Jesus, My Saviour. But just go back to verse 5. It talks there about, You forgave the guilt of my sin. But we mustn't make the mistake that that means that God simply excuses our sin. Alright, I know you've messed up, God says, but it doesn't really matter. He's not excusing it, just sweeping it under the carpet. He's not letting it go. Alright, try next time, but I'll let this one go. Just don't do it again. He's not letting it go. And he's not turning a blind eye. He's not saying, alright, I pretend I didn't see that. God sees everything. He doesn't excuse our sin. He doesn't let it go. He doesn't turn a blind eye. So the question then we have to ask is, how is it then, if he doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin, if he sees it, how is it then that we can experience his forgiveness? and experience uh, verse 1 and verse 2, the blessing of just coming to it before God in honesty. How is that possible? Well, verse 1 told us, blessed is the man whose sin is covered, and then verse 2, whose sin does not count against him. Well, how is that possible? It's everything that we were thinking of this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. It's that gift of grace, that gift of mercy, the two working side by side. God not giving us what we do deserve and God giving us a gift that we don't deserve. And the two work perfectly in the Gospel. Well, two things make that possible. Two things make the Christian Gospel possible. Just remember, uh, C.S. Lewis, who spoke about the Gospel being true myth. It seems unbelievable, but it is true. Uh, the Gospel feeling like a bar of soap. You grab hold of it and it just slips out of your hand. How is it possible that our sin can be covered and our sin doesn't count against us? Well, the first thing is something that is very, very simple and yet completely profound. It's the truth that, that Neil was going, reminding us of repeatedly this morning. God loves you. Just let those words sink right into your heart because you can believe they're true, but you can struggle sometimes to really believe they're true. God loves you. Just say that in your own mind, but put your name in there. It's kind of weird, isn't it? And kind of wonderful. God loves you. That's the first reason why it's possible. And the second reason, we were thinking of it again this morning, is his sacrifice for you. See, if God just loved you, he could just let you off. He could just turn a blind eye. He could pretend he didn't see. He has to love you, but there has to be a penalty paid because a loving God can't just look at you with your sin and say it doesn't matter because that's completely contrary to his character. So how is that possible? 
Well, it's the great truth of the gospel, isn't it? It's the great exchange, the swap that takes place. Because when we sin, God does get angry. But if you're a Christian believer, he doesn't get angry at you. When you sin, God does punish sin. But if you're a Christian believer, he doesn't punish you. When you sin, God's righteous anger and judgment is poured out. But if you're a Christian believer, it's not poured out on you. That is remarkable. That is grace, and it should just stir and move our hearts to a point where we can never ever get away from it. Because you know that if you're sitting here tonight and you put your trust in Jesus, he has done something wonderful in your life. Well, how is that possible? Uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that helps explain why there has to be a penalty for sin. It comes in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Friends, that's the reason why God can't turn a blind eye. There has to be a penalty paid. He's too good a God to just let sin go. But the great exchange is that amazing passage from Isaiah 53. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to this? Because this is just incredible. And if we grasp this, this passage was written in Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth. But it's about him. Just turn up to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, if you're struggling to find Isaiah, get to Psalms in the middle of the Bible and keep going a little bit further and you'll hit Isaiah. This passage is really what, the, what people talk about, the great exchange, because an amazing swap takes place that means that you can be forgiven. Isaiah 53, I'm just going to read from verse 4. Uh, Isaiah is speaking of the suffering servant, that's a reference to Jesus, who's going to come 700 years later. And Isaiah writes this, speaking of Jesus, Surely he took up our infirmities, and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And then this is the truth for each of us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Forgiveness is never free. It costs God his only son. But as we were learning this morning, that gift of forgiveness is then offered to us as a gift. We can't earn it. We can't pay God back for it. He just gives it to us because he loves you. It's a staggering truth. And it's the truth that he longs everyone in our community to hear. Not just something that's good for us on a Sunday to come here. He longs as a church we release this truth because people's lives will be set free when they grasp this. They don't need to run from their rebellion against God. They don't need to run from their failure. They don't need to feel crushed because they can know the liberating joy of knowing Jesus Christ who gives them this great gift because the wrath and anger of God was laid on God's Son so that it doesn't have to be laid on you and it doesn't have to be laid on me 
So I want to put you with this question. Will you grab hold of that gift today, but not let it go? Don't let it be like a bar of soap that slips out your hand. Will you grab hold of it? Will you grab hold of Jesus Christ and cling to him as your only hope? Because if you go back to where we started and I ask you why is it sometimes you struggle to believe the gospel? Uh, or you go to the screen with those sort of quotes and you're thinking, yeah, that's me. I can't believe that God could really love me. You have to keep preaching the gospel to yourself because you can't let your interpretation of your failure take precedence over God's interpretation of your failure. Both God and you see that you failed, but you see your failure and say, I'm not good enough. God sees your failure and says, I know but I paid for it, so it's okay. You never let your interpretation of your failure get in the way of God's interpretation of your failure. That's why we have to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Because like Martin Luther, we forget it every day. Uh, One American writer said this, and it's a very sort of provocative phrase, perhaps this could be left in your mind. We've got to understand this is true. He says, The Bible reveals that you're more wicked than you could ever realize, but more loved than you ever thought was possible.